Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 48 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 8th of August 2010, entitled God, the Holy Spirit, Part 10. And the Bible reading is taken from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you'd like to be opening your Bibles for our scripture reading to Acts chapter 1 this morning. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's holy word beginning in Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. The former treatise I have made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, But ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? He said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. When he had spoken these things which they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. While they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, beheld, behold, two men stood by him in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Father, we thank you again this morning. But Lord, the wonderful privilege that we have to be gathered together here in your house today. Father, we thank you for health and strength and freedom. We thank you, Lord, that for those that have gone before us, that have stood strong, that have made it possible for us to be able to gather and to worship you today. Father, we thank you for your word that we've just read from and for your Holy Spirit that lives and dwells within each and every believer, that Holy Spirit that can quicken and make these words alive into our hearts. Father, you see and know the needs of each individual here today. Father, as we commit this time into your hands once again, we pray, Lord, Lord, that you might speak through thy servant, through the anointing of thy spirit, Lord, not because we deserve anything of you today, because we as your people stand in such great need. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Of course, we find in our reading here, as we continue in our series number 48, in our series on contending for the faith, and this morning is part 10 on God the Holy Spirit. So don't expect to hear everything there is to know about God the Holy Spirit today. 
There's nine other sermons before, and you can take all of them, and this one, and still there'll be lots missing, and we've still got some more to come, because no matter how hard I try to get through it, uh, seems like there's just so much in God's Word, and we want to, again, have a clear understanding. As we have read here from Acts chapter 1 this morning, of course, I think it's interesting that there in verse 2, that here, of course, as Luke was writing about the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and he's writing about all he says here that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up. Notice he says, after that he, Jesus, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. This is not the first time in our study that we have seen the importance even of the Holy Spirit in the ministry and work of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. God the Father, God's Son, God the Holy Spirit is one God. But it's interesting as we begin to look that sometimes, as we know, we find that each having their own distinct ministries, even though they are always inseparable from each other. I find here the Holy Ghost that is working through the Lord Jesus Christ in giving the commandments that were given to the apostles. And of course, then we read there in verse 4 where that, again, as they were assembled together, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. But listen, but what? But wait for the promise of the Father. That was the very first thing as we began our series on the Holy Spirit. We began with the promise. The promise that Jesus Christ had made beginning in John chapter 14 and falling through for several chapters, Jesus Christ was the one that promised to send the Holy Spirit. And he is the one that gave us throughout those scriptures the clear reality that this one that he was sending, this Holy Spirit, was not just some mystical power, but that he was a person. And of course, as we looked there, we looked, he gave us the purpose, why it was necessary, why it was expedient for him to go, that he could send this one called the Holy Spirit, and the purpose is the work that he would accomplish while he was here. And of course, we've been looking then recently at the practice, how that work works out through you and I, through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, through the filling of the Holy Spirit. We find that as we move on today, we're going to look at this simple thought of the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice he told him in verse 7, and he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. You know, one of the most interesting subjects always for people is the subject of prophecy, of things to come, of what tomorrow holds, and, and next week and next month if the Lord tarries, what's there for us? And God has given us so many insights into those things. But there's some things it's not for you and I to know. I mean, they were, remember, Jesus had been teaching them about the kingdom. Well, their big thought here is when is that kingdom going to be returned to Israel? God said, there's some things that are in God's power alone. But notice what he said in verse 8 Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the world. You see, we find that as we look here, we live in a power-conscious age. 
People want power. Businesses want power. Nations want power. It's wanted for position. It's wanted for finances. It's wanted for politics. It's wanted militarily and so on and so on. We can speak of great power in relation to almost any area of our life. But we're surely familiar enough with all the struggle for power around us that that's not where I need to spend my time in ministry today. You only have to open your eyes to recognize and realize how important it is to people that they have power. But I do want to point you this morning, and I want to remind you of the one power, the one power that is greater than all of those other powers combined. You can put it all together, everything that man has ever mustered up and everything that he can possibly ever put together, his biggest bombs, his biggest everything, you put it all together. There's one power that is beyond all of that combined or anything that it can ever hope to be. The world will never fully understand this power that we're looking at this morning. The world will certainly never be able to compete with it. A power that in every aspect and whose moral and spiritual qualities are beyond anything that man knows or even can fully imagine. The very last words that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke before ascending back to heaven, the last words he spoke on this earth in his flesh, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. His last words... I want you to notice, first of all, that this power that we speak of when we speak of the Holy Spirit, that it is a miraculous power, a miraculous power. Ye shall receive power. You're going to receive the word here in the Greek is dunamis, after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That's when you're going to receive that power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That word dunamis, it means a miraculous power. It speaks of God's power. It speaks of a power that accomplishes what is unexplainable by man. A power that can't be accredited to man. Oh, I know we borrow, we borrow words like dynamite that comes from that same root, but believe me, <laughs> that's nothing compared to the power of what this word speaks of. It's speaking of something that literally is miraculous, that is beyond anything that man can do. You find that the simple truth is that when we put this together with all of these other wonderful truths that we've seen about the Holy Spirit, the simple truth is, is that when we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, have been regenerated, have been born again. When we 
have been indwelt by that Holy Spirit, sealed by that Holy Spirit, baptized and filled with that Holy Spirit, then there is a power of God that is in us, the power of God, the power of the God of all the universe is there, present. You see, it is a power. Ye shall receive power. Ye shall receive a miraculous power. Ye shall receive a power that is beyond anything that man can even begin to touch when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. This miraculous power. I'm talking about the power that created and sustains and keeps everything that exists. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Job 33, 4, the Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Listen, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. In Psalm 104, verses 29 and 30, Thou hidest my face, they are troubled. Thou takest away their breath, they die and return to their dust. Thou sendest forth thy spirit, they are created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. You see, there's many more passages, but what I want us to grasp and understand, the power of the Spirit the Holy Spirit of God, God's Spirit, is seen to be active in all of creation and all that there is in maintaining that creation that has been created, including you and I and all of mankind. Ye shall receive power. Ye shall receive a miraculous power that is beyond man the kind of power that was used to create the universe and to keep it there. Not only the power that created the universe, but folks, with all that man can do, I'm talking about the only power in all the world. Man can destroy man. Man can blow man into smithereens that he no longer exists in this physical world. But man has no power to reach to that inner soul, that inner being, that inner heart. Only the Holy Spirit has that power. The power that convicts the sinner. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. At that time, you're not promised a hundred and twenty anymore. <laughs> you might get your three score and ten. But even if they live to be a hundred and twenty years old, they don't have the promise of God's Spirit striving with him. He won't always strive with man. John chapter 15, verse 26, one of the verses that we've looked at already, but when the Comforter is come, Jesus said, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, what's he going to do? Jesus said, he shall testify of me. He, the Holy Spirit, will testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 16, verses 8 to 11, again, a passage we've already looked at in our study, and when he, 
the Holy Spirit, is come. He will approve the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father, and ye see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. You see, the power, ye shall receive power, a miraculous power, a power that we've never seen anything on earth that man has done that can compare to this power. The power that was there that created and sustains the universe. The power that convicts the sinner. The power of the Spirit. The only power in the universe that can strive with man, that can show and point him to Jesus, the only power that can convict a man of his sin and show him the need for the Savior. Oh, he can look at creation. And even his brain, his common sense, ought to tell him that there is a God out there. But it's only the Holy Spirit that can quicken, make these words alive, let him know about that one called Jesus, the only one that can truly Changes life. You see, the Bible says, after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, ye shall receive power. The power that created the universe. The power that convicts the sinner. The power that converts, conforms, comforts, and controls the Christian. We find that it was Jesus himself in that very familiar passage of Scripture in the Gospel of John chapter 3 when he was talking to Nicodemus. And he said there beginning in verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, it's not us. I've said many times people talk about those born-again Christians. <laughs> We didn't make the word up. We didn't come up with it at all. It was Jesus that said, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to see the kingdom of God, then you must be born again. Nicodemus said unto him, well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou hearest the sound thereof. Canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. You see, we have looked already at so many verses in relation to it and in talking about the, the purpose and the work of the Holy Spirit that I'm not going to go back there this morning. I'm not going to repeat all those many verses that we've looked at already. You can go back and you can 
listening to them yourselves if you were here or not here and you've missed those. But suffice it to say for us this morning that it is abundantly clear from the Word of God, not only from this passage that we read here before us in John chapter 3, but from so, so many others. There is no other power on earth that can do what God does to a life through the work of the Holy Spirit. Man can reform. Man can have great intentions. People can be good people in comparison to the world and not be a Christian. They can never be holy people. They can never be righteous people. They can never come up to the standard of God. That's why that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Doesn't matter if you've exceeded, succeeded in exceeding all other people that ever lived. All come short of the glory of God. We all miss the mark when it's in comparison to the only one that matters. You see, there's only one power in all the universe that can do that work in an individual's life. We look and we see that it's the Holy Spirit that does the work of regeneration. It's the Holy Spirit then that baptizes that believer into the body of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that indwells that believer and in so doing seals that believer, assures that believer, strengthens that believer, liberates him, teaches him, directs him, guides him. He's the one that will feel, control the yielded believer. And when he does that, produce that holy and righteous living that can only come from God to empower and equip the believer for true service, where it's Jesus Christ that's being seen through him, the power of God that's working through him, a power that no one else can give that believer. You see, in simple terms, we see the power of Jesus Christ himself living in and through the believer that is filled with the Spirit of God and accomplishing the work and the purpose of Christ on this earth. Remember, over and over again, we keep finding, we keep looking, we keep hammering in this fact. The main purpose of the Holy Spirit in indwelling you and I is that the work and the purpose of Jesus Christ might be accomplished, might be done through you and I. It's the work of Christ. That's what the only thing that has ever saved a wretched soul. We find that that was the whole purpose in Jesus coming to this world, a purpose that was laid down by God before even the foundation of this world was laid, his eternal purpose. That eternal purpose can only be accomplished through you and I. <clears throat> you see, whether it's the universe around us, whether it's the lost sinner that does not have that personal relationship with Christ, people can be religious. 
People can do all kinds of religious things without Christ, without the Holy Spirit. But only the true believer can enter that personal relationship. The believer that has come to that true saving faith, the fact is there's no power in the universe that can accomplish what this power right here can accomplish. Ye shall receive power, miraculous power, the power of God on your life and in your life through the working of the Holy Spirit. This, my friends, is something that we need to get our heads around. The power that is given after the Holy Ghost has come upon us. We need to somehow grasp just what it means, not just to be saved and on our way to heaven, not just to have that assurance of knowing that we're saved for eternity, but I'm talking about being truly filled and controlled by God, by God the Holy Spirit, that our lives, can be in his hand that he can accomplish through us, that he can do through us what we can never do ourselves. Ye shall receive power, the miraculous power of God, after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. What can God do with our lives? Well, I want you to see something here. This isn't talked about very often when this verse is looked at. You see, we're not only talking about miraculous power here, but we're talking about something else. Have I ever ruffled any of your feathers before? (laughs) Anybody ever left here thinking less of me than when they came? I might ruffle a few feathers today. But I want to tell you before I say it, I'm not trying to get up your wrong side on purpose. I'm not here to cause you harm, but if you want to know the truth, and I don't mean it crudely, I'm not here to please you either. I can only look at this passage in the light of what God is saying, and I want you to grasp what I'm saying. I want you to grasp the potential here. I want you to understand what it is that the power of the Holy Spirit really means in our lives. Because we're not only talking about a miraculous power that I could spend from now to eternity and never fully be able to explain just how powerful that it is. But I want you to see here that we're talking about a martyrdom power. Ye shall be witnesses unto me as a result of this miraculous God's power upon your life. You will be. Do you know what that word witness is there? It's translated in the original martus. You know what we get from the word martus? Martyr. Martyr. Ye shall be martus everywhere. You see, the word, first of all, is a, it is a judicial word. Just like that we still use today in our judicial terms. We stand there and promise to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It is a judicial term. To be a witness, 
to tell the truth. In this case, witnesses unto Jesus, to tell the truth about Jesus. But this word in its original is used as one who died for his faith. Martus. Why? Because for many of them, that was the exact price. As a matter of fact, these apostles that he was talking to here, probably all of them but one, we assume died martyrs' death. <laughs> they were put to death because they were willing to be a witness, to tell the truth about Jesus Christ, no matter what the cost might be. Can I say loud and clear this morning? Folks, most of Christendom that we know in this world knows nothing of this kind of witness. Nothing of the kind of witness that is saying here that if we have this miraculous power of God that comes on us through the power of the Holy Spirit to be this kind of witnesses, very few Christians in all the world truly experience the kind of power that brings the kind of witness that we're reading about in this verse that so often we quote, we read it, and we never even begin to comprehend what it is that it's really saying to us. You know what? I wonder, and I don't say this to be mean. I'm saying that if we want to compare ourselves amongst others, we probably don't look too bad in comparison to a lot of the churches out there when it comes to our people getting out on the doors and our people getting out in the open air and doing these things which a vast majority of them that call themselves Christians can't even be bothered with anymore. But folks, we struggle. We struggle to get people out on the street. We struggle to get people in, in our own community to put the gospel leaflets through those doors to let them know the truth about Jesus Christ. And in the end, it's because we can't spare a couple of hours for him. Because you see, what we're talking about here is a witnessing that's willing for it to cost them their lives. And yet we can't get involved in a witnessing that will cost us a couple of three hours of our time. You see, it's because we've usually got more important things to do. There's things that are more important to us than telling somebody the truth about Jesus. We wouldn't say that. The simple truth is, is most of us will find time to do the things that are really important. And we will do the things that we really want to do. You know, you can fill in your own blanks. It's not me that you need to put an excuse to. But I'm saying, folks, we need to, we need to know the kind of power that's being given to us here in the Scripture through God working in our lives. When we struggle, not just to get people out on the doors, we struggle to get people to be faithful to God's house. 
We struggle for people to be witnesses even amongst the other Christians where they don't even have to, to worry about the struggles. To be that witness to one another, to those that, that you might be able to be an encouragement to if you were there. You say maybe, you know, I mean, we, I guess, we meet a couple times on the Lord's Day and we meet midweek for prayer meeting. Simple truth is that's nothing compared to the early church that we're meeting every day. Why? Well, if we're going to be honest, there's too many other things that are too important in our lives than the work of the Lord. How strong can the church be? You know, they say that no chain is any stronger than the weakest link. This church is not made of the brick and the mortar, the building. We thank God that we've got to meet in. Bethel Free Baptist Church is a committed group of people that is the body of Christ with the Lord Jesus Christ as our head. The truth is, it's the people that make the church. When we come here every Sunday and every Wednesday, it's that, that, that body, that group of people that are coming together. You think I'm being mean. You might think that I'm being ungrateful. You know, the fact is, is that not many of you here this morning probably have any earthly idea just how much your pastor loves you, just how much your pastor cares for you, just how much your pastor hurts when he sees you hurting and struggling, when he sees the potential that's in your lives, when he sees the potential that's there for a body of people that would genuinely not just be committed to each other, but committed to the cause of Christ. That telling the truth about Jesus means more to us than the things that we're gathering in this world. You see, I'm grateful for every time that I see your face. I'm grateful whether you're here one time a week or twice a week or three times a week. I'd love to see you more, <laughs> whoever you are, no matter how many times you come. I'm not trying to be mean, but I want to challenge you with something this morning. <laughs> I want you to be honest with yourself. I don't want you to be honest with God. Yes, yes. You can be a Christian and just show up once a week and maybe miss that occasionally if you want to as well. <laughs> and not make it at all. Yes, you can be a Christian and go to heaven and never take part in any outreach that this church ever has in the city center or on the streets or at the Fox and Goose or at the nursing home or wherever else that we might go. Never take part. And yes, you can be a Christian. And yes, you can go to heaven. But how much more can you be what kind of potential is being stifled and held back? Why? Can we be honest? Because we still have too much control of our lives rather than taking our hands off and giving God complete control. We're still controlling too many of the things ourselves, and we need to let go. What are the possibilities 
with your life, if this kind of power right here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the power of the Holy Ghost, this miraculous power, this power that can only be accredited to God when things are happening in your life that people can look at you and they know that it's not you. They know that you couldn't do that yourself. They know that it's got to be given God the glory and the credit for it. To be quite honest, too many of us today are afraid of miracle-working power. <laughs> you might be identified with the wrong crowd. <laughs> There's so much froth and junk that's around us that many times people are afraid that they might be identified with the wrong crowd. Folks, God is still God. Don't be afraid of a power that's beyond your own. Don't be afraid of God doing things in your life and through your life that cannot be accredited to man, that can only be accredited to God. You don't have to get out there with the crowd that's swinging from the chandeliers and irreverent and everything else. I'm saying, let God have control of your life. Let God do whatever he wants to and let him do things that you can't take the credit for. <laughs> Let him do things that make people stand back in wonderment because, man, that can't be him. You see, that's the kind of power that's being talked about here. How much more can you be? What are the possibilities with your life if this kind of power were evident? What can God do with your life? if you honestly, genuinely give it to him instead of keeping it for yourself, how much more fulfilled, how much more true joy would be in your life if you had that absolute perfect peace of knowing that God was in control and you were in the center of his will. He was doing what he wanted with your life. Do you know that kind of joy this morning? Do you want that kind of joy this morning? You'll never have it. You'll never have it as long as you keep the reins. We have the kind of power that comes to a truly spirit-filled Christian. This miraculous power that we see spoken of here. The fact is, if we had that kind of power, that we're going to be these kind of witnesses. It'll cause us to be witnesses, to be martus unto Jesus, witnesses of the truth, witnesses who are willing to die for our faith. I wonder if it could possibly cost you your life to be a witness, whether it's coming to God's house or going out on the street or going out on the doors. How many would be here next Sunday? How many would be on the outreach on Saturday if you knew that by doing it, it might cost you your life? If it were going to cost you your life, What else do you have in this world that is of more value to you than that? See, 
Something tells me that if we had the kind of power that's being described to us here, if that was the kind of power in our lives, if we were really willing to die for our faith if necessary, if it might cost us our life in order to be faithful witnesses, if it might cost us our life to tell the truth about Jesus, if we were willing to be the kind of witnesses that would die as the martyrs have done, somehow I don't think some of those other things would be quite so important to us anymore. Those other things that hinder us from being that kind of witness, I just somehow don't think that they would matter quite so much. Have you ever really read, I've, I've mentioned a couple of times, Fox's Book of Martyrs. How many of you have ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? If you haven't, I've got a couple of copies, and I would recommend every Christian read it, not because it's good bedtime stories. We ought to be aware of what it's cost others, of what others have been willing to do to witness for the truth, <laughs> to stand up and be counted. You see, have you ever really thought about those horrible deaths that many of those martyrs of the faith had to die? Have you ever wondered how they could face such agony, such atrocities being done to them? And yet, so many of them leave this world with praise in their hearts, <laughs> in a psalm or a song or a hymn from their lips. <laughs> because they had a joy amidst some of the worst agonies and pains that could be put. Where did they get that kind of strength? Where did they get the strength that they didn't flinch when they were willing to stand up and to tell the truth, even if it meant laying down their lives and then go out with a smile on their face and a song on their lips? Where? Right here in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 when the true power of God was upon their lives, when the Holy Spirit came upon them in such a way that they had that miraculous power that made them be willing to have a martyrdom power because this life wasn't what was important to them. But just a thought, just a thought of turning their back on Jesus, of denying him, of not standing up for the truth of him. You see, folks, I want you to grasp and somehow, I know I'm failing miserably in trying to get you to understand what this verse is saying to us here. At least get a hint of what Jesus is telling us in his parting words. Jesus Christ himself, he faced the most agonizing death of all. Why did he do that? He did it that you might have life. He did it so that you could live. When that same Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is accomplishing his work through you, 
so that his purpose can continue to be accomplished and fulfilled upon this earth. When it is truly Christ that is resident in you and not just a visitor. When it's truly Christ that is resident rather than self. When he has control rather than self. When he is the one that is living out his holy lifestyle through you. You receive a miraculous power. (laughs) The power of Christ himself that would cause you just as willingly as when he went and died upon that cross to gladly lay down your life for the faith and martyrdom if necessary in order that Christ might be known that others might live. Why? Because Christ is still just as willing to do it today as he was 2,000 years ago. And if it's him that's living through you, I wonder, Christian, could you gladly face martyrdom right now if called upon to do so? I'm saying to you that this verse, we could look all through the Word of God. We could touch on many things concerning the power of the Holy Spirit. But I'm convinced, I'm convinced in going to the Scriptures. I'm convinced with everything within me. And I'll say this again before we finish this series. Listen to me, Christian, Christian, those of you here today, If you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there is nothing in all the world that you need more than that. Nothing. But if you are a Christian, if you are a child of God, I say very clearly, there is nothing in this world that you need more than to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Because all those other things are never going to happen in your strength and in your power. There's nothing you need more. You want to be a greater witness? You want to know God's Word more? You want to be a brighter light? You want to be all these things? That can only happen truly when God's in control. If we as Christians could grasp the true meaning of this verse, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me. That power would change your life. That power would turn your life upside down. That power would turn this church upside down. That power would turn the city of Birmingham upside down. Folks, that power was what turned a nation upside down. It turned the world upside down. It sent that church into all the world with the gospel. That power as a child of God is what you need more than anything in all the world today. Father, only you can work in the hearts of people. I've tried in my clumsy way, I know, to cover a lot of ground on one simple verse this morning. Lord, I pray that you've been able to get through to the minds and hearts of these what I know that I have fell miserably in.
May you, Lord, be able to show the true light. May you make these words alive and not just words on a page. Lord, I pray that you would work in the lives of each one here today. You know if there's anyone here that's lost that needs to be saved, you know the need of each Christian. I commit them into your hands at this time and pray, Lord, that you would work in their lives. Lord, may you help us to grasp, understand, desire, and want what we've seen here, this glorious promise of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, to know that kind of power in our lives. Lord, help us to be a people that would give ourselves to you in such a way that it could be not just something we read about on the pages of your Word, but something that's a living reality in our lives. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. 